Welcome to the Early Link podcast focused on policy strategies and programs to advance early learning in Oregon. I'm speaking with Swati Adarkar, President and CEO of Children's Institute, for our very first segment, which will explore some key pieces of Oregon's new preschool program called Preschool Promise. Swati, it's great to be speaking with you. Great speaking with you, too. Preschool Promise is part of an effort to help Oregon change the trajectory for vulnerable children and families by offering free, full-day, high-quality preschool to families uh, living at or below 200% of the federal poverty threshold. Programs just came online last month, and Oregon now has 93 sites serving 1,300 children in 14 counties. Children's Institute, along with its partners, played a key role in passing the legislation in 2015 and is actively involved in looking at issues of implementation. Uh, Swati, could you start with giving a snapshot of the overall preschool environment uh, right now in Oregon? Uh, How does preschool promise fit into the preschool landscape? Sure. You know, many states and the nation are engaged in a conversation about how we can ensure more children have access to high-quality preschool because we know the significant benefits that accrue in terms of school readiness and self-regulation. What's challenging about um, how to make sure all kids get access to high-quality preschool is that we have such a segmented system, uh, both nationally and in Oregon. We don't have a system the same way K-12 has a system. And so we have uh, different funding pieces and silos that don't all integrate to create a common preschool experience for children. And we know that low-income kids are the kids most likely to start behind. And so where Oregon has wisely focused the only state preschool dollars we've invested is to expand the Federal Head Start program, which is the Oregon uh, Pre-K Head Start program. And Children's Institute has been strong advocacy partners with the Oregon Head Start Association to get more children served. And since the 2007 session, we've been actively advocating for more kids getting access to Head Start services. One of the challenges in the current preschool environment is that still leaves a lot of children unserved. And our target at the Children's Institute, particularly with the school readiness lens, is to focus on that 200% of the federal poverty level and below. And we know that there are around 30,000 kids in Oregon who are low income and still do not have access to high quality preschool, even with though Oregon is investing in Oregon Head Start Pre-K. Head Start has been focused on serving kids at 100% of the federal poverty level and below, and we know for a lot of low-income working families, they often fall through the cracks and not being able to afford those services. So we were really interested in an approach that would look at the reality for many families for whom Um, children children, um, having an experience of preschool before coming to kindergarten could be formative and really important in their educational trajectory, and to do so with offering an opportunity that was both high quality and affordable. Let's talk a little bit about quality, because when we talk about preschool, the emphasis is on high-quality preschool and how you build a high-quality preschool program. So what does high-quality mean in Oregon? Sure. And high-quality uh, really means 
high quality in Oregon, high quality in Washington, D.C., high quality in North Carolina. There's some common principles that we've really learned are central to children having a really positive and um, formative experience. And a lot of those things in many ways could be supported by common sense um, when you think about what's appropriate to support um, development for a three and four-year-old. What you want are small class sizes and you want the kind of ratios between teachers and children that will allow for the interaction and contact time and allow for the kind of program where children are um, involved in child-led activities and child-led experiences and you have a classroom setting where there's dramatic play and water tables and other kinds of sensory experiences that require a different classroom management size and ratios. And so those have really been standard in terms of what people see as high quality and you you know, look at a classroom of kids of a lead teacher and assistant and 20 children, ratio of 1 to 10, teacher to student. And more than that is not considered best practice. And so that piece was firmly put in preschool promise. There are other quality pieces that have to do with the education and training of the teacher, particularly the lead teacher, to make sure that they their experiences are grounded in actual teaching practice. They've had experiences working with diverse groups of children. The piece in Preschool Promise that we have focused on for the lead teacher is the requirement of a bachelor's degree. There's a lot of debate around the bachelor's degree because we don't have conclusive evidence that that alone leads to a good teacher. And I think everyone would agree that just having a college degree alone doesn't give you a guarantee of being effective in a classroom. But what more and more is happening is people are beginning to look at the complexities of what it means to support um, early childhood development. A lot in the last 20 years in particular has been learned about brain science and how much more complex the job is to support healthy development in young children, particularly if you're talking about children growing up with adverse experiences, growing up in the kinds of situations with stressors that po often come along with poverty. The other thing that we're learning, though, is that the power of combining effective training and the bachelor's degree, and Preschool Promise calls for both. It, you can't have one without the other. They, they, how they work in concert is, is the idea of how we would support effective teachers. And we know that the interaction between the child and the teacher in terms of a high-quality preschool classroom experience is at the top of the list of what counts. And the same is true for K-12. On the issue of the bachelor's degree requirement for lead teachers, some communities have expressed concern that the requirement will inhibit workforce diversity and won't necessarily improve the skills of experienced teachers. What are the options? Well, this whole issue of the bachelor's degree has been a big hot topic in Oregon and in many other states um, because we don't have the systems in place yet for four-year degree programs that are really grounded in practice. And I think what we know is it's the practice experience plus an education, and we want both. And so we're also very committed to a diverse workforce. And we know that among the current early childhood workforce, 
um, that is much more diverse than the K-12 workforce and more closely uh, maps the linguistic and ethnic diversity of the children, which is fantastic. But you don't have a high enough concentration in that current workforce pool with a BA. So you've got this challenge, which is the sort of researchers, scholars, experts in the field, and people sort of writing to the future are recommending a bachelor's degree. But yet there's work that we all need to do to get to achieving that North Star. And we don't want to lose the wisdom, experience, and rich diversity of the current workforce. So these are the sorts of concerns that we're surfacing from some of our community partners. And so what we're looking at is sitting down with our partners and looking at what the alternate pathway in addition to a BA plus training would be. And those things are getting worked out in a process of people bringing good ideas together. But I do think it's a great step for Oregon to think about having a North Star, going for quality based on what we're learning, and thinking about how we lift up and work with the current workforce to get there. There are multiple levels. When I, when I think about the early childhood system, first of all, we don't have a, a fully formed system. It's not, it's not very well defined. It's also somewhat disconnected from K-12. It looks like there are opportunities for pre-K to be more closely aligned, at, at least uh, with what's happening in K-3 through or elementary school. And the profession itself is not very well understood or defined in terms of what exactly, what are the skills that a high-quality preschool teacher needs? That's an evolving body of research. How, how do we get to define those things and get them all to be working a little bit more closely together? Well, I think the Institute of Medicine report did a really good job of identifying the areas, competencies, and experiences that we'd like children to have from zero to eight, not just preschool. I think what it's pointing to is how much more intentional we have to be in understanding how to support children's learning during this critical period of early brain development. And you're right, there isn't a system. And there's a challenge if we think about just creating a professional development system for preschool alone. Because what we've seen through a number of studies is when children are in high quality preschool, if those, if that's not sustained in K-3, we don't see the full benefits of high quality preschool. And so what it suggests is more of a shared professional development strategy that's needed across pre-K through third grade, which is that key developmental domain within the education space, the more formal education space to have alignment and integration. And what we're looking at more and more is what are the opportunities to create professional learning teams where kindergarten teachers, first grade, second and third are working in partnership with preschool. We've had a chance to really see how you begin that work um, through early works at Earl Boyles and to see the power of preschool teachers being in the building with the other teachers sharing their data and the other teachers beginning to understand so clearly how they can align their teaching strategies with preschool. How does that look in terms of, um, and many, many other states are doing this as well, but Oregon's model that relies on, uh, for preschool promise that is, that relies on mixed delivery. 
because part of the question, it seems, is how do you create continuity across a range of different provider types, meaning you've got preschool in uh, for an in-home provider, you have one in a school, one in a childcare setting, one in a Head Start. You've got a range of providers that are all trying to work toward the same level of quality. How does so the the teacher qualifications need to be a part of that? There must be some other standards. What does what does that look like? One of the things that we were most excited about in helping to create and pass preschool promise was this idea of parents choosing the environments that they believe work best for their children. And that's, as you pointed out, could be in a variety of settings. It could be in an elementary school. It could be an in-home child care provider, center-based child care provider. And so Preschool Promise opens the door to this opportunity of array of providers. Um, but it uh, increases the challenge for adults to work together across these systems. And the truth is that adults... All of us have to be better at thinking about how we get out of our own narrow boxes as the system is only going to be built through these relationships. And one of the things we were excited about when the Kindergarten Partnership and Innovation was passed was that funding um, now delivered through the early learning hubs was created specifically with the idea of creating connections between the early years and the early grades around professional development, around family engagement, around the transitions that you're identifying. And so we haven't thought about intentional linkages for preschool and elementary in designing our education systems. But those issues are at the front now as we think about expanding preschool. Because if you just expand preschool, but you're not thinking about the linkages, we won't get those sort of system benefits. The other thing is, is that it gives an opportunity for K-12 to recalibrate what kindergarten, first, second, and third grade look like. Because if kids, you know, previously are coming two years behind, for example, which was what was happening at Earl Boyles, but now they're far more prepared and ready, then it says a whole different thing for what kindergarten can offer. Seems like you would have to be very intentional about uh, what happens in K one two three if you have an effective preschool program that is actually really better preparing kids for kindergarten uh, using an older model. Uh, if now they're achieving at a higher rate and ready at a different rate, kindergarten then has to be ready, or else, or else we might see those effects fade out in the early years of elementary school is, is part of the issue that K-3 isn't quite ready uh, or isn't isn't lifting kids uh, who are coming in at kindergarten and, and who are better prepared? I think, first of all, we have a lot of kids coming to kindergarten not having had the benefit of early education. And so what you've got is a challenge, um, particularly in low-income school districts where kindergarten teachers in the early grades just have a really tough time. We've seen that it's pretty hard to narrow those gaps that teachers are tackling when kids don't have that strong beginning. And so part of what you're talking about, frankly, I think is still in an area where we've got to learn how to get this right. And I think it's pretty easy for us to jump to a fairly simple definition of rigor and I think there have been some legitimate concerns about what kids do during their kindergarten year. And appropriate developmental practice 
for kids in preschool shares a lot with kindergarten. And so part of what we need to do is think about what are the strategies for supporting children's learning when they're three, when they're four, when they're five, and having teams of teachers work together across those key domains instead of thinking about these isolated grades, because we know kids develop at different rates. But the opportunity then, of course, is there to have kids on grade level at third grade with a completely different opportunity if you think about that alignment and integration. But some of that is going to include a different approach to family engagement because we know that kids are with their families uh, a lot more time that they're in school and there are a lot of um, things that are affecting the K-3 grades like summer learning loss and challenges with attendance due to health issues like asthma or dental pain. So this can't sit on the shoulders of teachers alone. You know, preschool is a piece of helping kids achieve their potential. And it's a critical piece because of the early opportunity to get them um, a strong beginning. You mentioned Earl Boyles. Earl Boyles is one of Children's Institute's, uh, one of our demonstration sites. Uh, We have another one in Yankala. And so when you talk about the coordination and alignment that we're starting, that we're trying to work toward between pre-K and K through three. Are we seeing that on the ground in, in Earl Boyles? And um, what, what does that look like? What's, what's working? What are some of those challenges? And then I'd also love for you to tell the story about what's happening in Yonkala. Well, I think at both Earl Boyles and Yonkala, what's been great learnings for the Children's Institute is the opportunity to reset the table of who, how communities, schools, and parents can partner together around shared outcomes. And I think this whole notion of shared outcomes is really the ultimate um, marker of quality, right? Because we can define all these inputs, but if children aren't progressing and children aren't thriving and doing better, then we're not getting it right. And so the idea of these demonstration learning laboratories was the idea of uh, different partners coming together in Yonkala and at Earl Boyles, it's been very powerful to see the role of parents and the role of community members, parents, teachers looking at the same data and making decisions based on the data because the data can drive a common conversation. If you know where children are, where the gaps are, if you know you've got a big chronic absence problem or you know that there's a key um, area in social-emotional development that needs to be supported, you can then focus on a strategy that will attend to that. So I think um, demystifying what those areas are that actually need attention and support and then committing to continuous quality improvement. In Yonkala, what was been a really interesting journey for us is when we first started to partner with Yonkala School District and the Ford Family Foundation, the parents were um, really clear that they didn't want to focus on preschool. And we were sort of surprised as an organization that had a, had a lot of focus on advocacy for preschool. And we really met the community where they were. They wanted to start with some parenting programs in zero to three, which we feel is absolutely essential um, and the fundamental building block that's the first step before preschool, and we saw the wisdom in their approach. What was interesting is they got more and more involved and engaged around the data, 
suddenly we started to have more interest in preschool and then there was a waiting list and you know step by step they started to work towards a common vision such that they are preschool promise site and they are tapping public funding to meet those quality standards so watching them on that journey has been incredibly inspiring preschool promise then in effect uh, the funding is in a way designed to help stabilize the field while simultaneously uh, raising the pay of early educators and lifting up the profession of, of early educators. Is that the foundation of the legislation? Absolutely. And it's saying this is an important field. This is an important job and has it carries huge responsibilities for our future doctors and nurses and educators. You know, it starts in, really, it starts prenatally. And preschool teachers are on the sort of continuum of supporters of optimal child development. And if we don't honor and respect their important work in the arc of a child's development, we will not get there in terms of the opportunity to support children's potential. And so compensation is one of the most basic ways that you recognize the importance of the field. And we have not done that. We failed to do that. Um, there are many other countries where being an educator is uh, compensated differently. It's treated differently. And, you know, this is both a compensation issue and a respect issue. It's both. And so we uh, believe that having early educators at the table with other educators, both in compensation and opportunities for professional development supports and training, is absolutely key both to the profession and to the quality of the programs that can be developed. Two parts to this next question. The first is really uh, in thinking about now that preschool promises off the ground, people are becoming aware of it as a as a new resource, as a new opportunity for their children. We are at work trying to keep the vision in place. This is a program that's just gotten started. Um, there are some imp implementation issues that you might expect with a brand new program. Providers are working through those, but we want to we want to be able to first of all maintain our commitment to this longer-term vision for high-quality preschool. At the same time, we have the more immediate uh, needs on the ground for families and kids. So what can, what can communities and families expect in terms of the long-term vision and in terms of what uh, Preschool Promise will be offering them in the next year, the next two years? Well, you know, it's interesting, this rollout of the first wave of preschool was intentionally small and really rolling out as a pilot so we could learn about those implementation challenges. We're talking about 1,300 kids and 93 classrooms. Uh, so we're not talking about starting with a huge, huge scale statewide or anything, but this will allow us to grapple with the implementation issues and figure out what are the things we need to do so that as we sustain and expand the program, it's actually guided by communities' experience on the ground. And we have all these new pieces of early learning governance in Oregon that are all 
um, rolling up their sleeves and engaged in this rollout. So you've got the Early Learning Council that's provided policy guidance and oversight to the Early Learning Division that's helping provide that technical assistance and supports and rulemaking and so forth on the ground. Then you've got early learning hubs working directly with providers to figure out that implementation. So you've got lots of new entities and a new program. And so Preschool Promise is a lot about the how. How do we get this right? How can we make it better? How can we build on partnerships? How can we support effective educators and have some humility in this whole process, I mean, Children's Institute knows a piece of it. We're not the people with this holding the, the answers by ourselves, but we hope that we can be part of a partnership with other folks who are grappling with us and be who are willing to be on the journey so that we're keeping improved outcomes for children in mind. At this point, uh, you know, I know we're, that we're gearing up for the 2017 legislative session. There's a lot happening politically in Oregon and around the country, obviously. What can preschool uh, advocates do? What can early learning advocates do now and through the fall to keep programs and investments moving in the right direction? I think what we have to continue to think about is how different investments work together to support children across this critical developmental domain starting prenatally through third grade. We know that third grade is our best predictor of high school graduation, and Oregon has dismal third grade Um, reading rates with 75% of our kids of color and not on grade level and two-thirds of our low-income kids and half, not even half, I think it is, of the state's kids are on grade level, slightly less than half um, at third grade. So, you know, from my perspective, that is dire. That's an emergency unto itself. So, A common shared outcome should be improving third grade success so kids are on grade level. So if we're going to go about doing that, there are many pieces to that. So as we think about investments, K-12 is absolutely critical, but so is early learning and connections to health. And so how we can think about an approach to investments across that domain where Early learning advocates and others are coming to the table to say we need to focus on the continuum of developmental support. So preschool promise is critical, Head Start funding is critical, attention to zero to three. If we don't get zero to three right, preschool dollars will not be spent effectively because we'll still be playing catch up. And so having us understand how these investments go hand in hand, why our early intervention, early childhood special education system needs to be robust to respond to the kids um, being identified through developmental screenings, why home visits and parent coaching is so critical in supporting um, strong development for children zero to three. All of these components are things the Children's Institute will be advocating for with our partners But it's not an either-or. We've got to work on all of these things across this developmental domain if third grade success is going to be our ultimate measure of how we're doing in terms of children's progress. I'm looking forward to keeping tabs on how things progress. Um, I know it's going to be a very interesting uh, legislative year, in part because Measure 97 is on the table. So whether that passes or whether it doesn't, it's going to make things very interesting in the legislature. I know we have a lot of work to do uh, thinking about P3 and 
developing resources and programs for kids in that early spectrum. So I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you so much, and thanks so much for caring about these issues that mean so much to the Children's Institute. This is Rafael Otto bringing you the Early Link podcast. Children's Institute is working to ensure a strong beginning for Oregon's children. Learn more at childinst.org.